Listeners, start your engines. Franchise Detours, Episode 11. Rob here. Find more episodes of this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcatchers, as well as CrookedTable.com. Also, you can give us a rating, review on Apple Podcasts and now Spotify. We really appreciate it. Help get the word out about this show. So on this episode, we are starting a brand new mega series, which is always very exciting. Granted, this is... I'm not going to count the Matrix one. That was sort of an unofficial, here's what we said before, here's what's happening now kind of look at that franchise. And you can check out our episode on the Matrix from 2019 in this feed, our episode from uh, with Jackson Smith from 2020 on the Matrix Reloaded and Revolutions. And you want to hear me ramble on about the Matrix Resurrections for uh, an hour to myself. Good, good luck with that. It's it's in the feed as well. Definitely check that out. I had uh, more to say than I thought I would uh, after seeing that movie once 12 hours earlier. But now that we're done with the Matrix kind of bonus episodes, we're done with the uh, Child's Play franchise. We're moving into our second official mega series of this show, and that is the Evil Dead uh, franchise, which is one that I've been a big fan of for a long time. So it was fun to go back and rewatch these movies and uh, share our passion for that. On this episode, we are discussing the original Evil Dead from 1981, The Evil Dead. And we are joined by Brie Asmoudet from the Geeky Waffle Network. They actually have a brand new show out called Killer Waffles. Uh, I've already been a guest, so if you want to hear me talk more about Ash vs. Evil Dead and Chucky and a bunch of other horror movies, franchises, turn TV shows, definitely go check out Killer Waffles on your podcatcher of choice. As with our Child's Play series, we will be ranking the franchise at the end of every episode, the guest will, rather, and at the end of the, the final episode of this uh, mega series or every mega series, but of this mega series, we will then look back at everybody's rankings, calculate them all together, and come up with a ranking of what our guests feel is the best to worst of uh, our, a given franchise. In this case, we will be talking about The Evil Dead from 1981, Evil Dead 2 from 1987, Army of Darkness from 1992, and The uh, Evil Dead 2013. No, no, the, it's cleaner. Uh, which is technically, technically we're not really doing remakes on this show. I feel like that we're kind of keeping aside for potentially another project down the road. Who knows? But since Evil Dead 2013 is as much regarded as a sequel slash reboot than it is a, a pure remake, uh, we went ahead and included it in here. Uh, and just because, you know, it's an interesting movie with lots to talk about. So we'll definitely get to that at some point down the line in, in well, three episodes from now. So let's listen to a little bit of the trailer and then jump right into our conversation with Bria Asmoudet about The Evil Dead. No, it was the woods themselves. They're alive. 
Welcome to Franchise Detours, where we believe no movie series travels in a straight line. Of course, we just finished up our Child's Play Chucky mega series. And we are just jumping right into another horror franchise. I swear to God, this is not going to be necessarily a horror podcast, but I did a Twitter poll a while back saying I have four slots left on this show for the end of, till the end of the year. Here, here are some options. Uh, I think it was Evil Dead, Mad Max, Men in Black, and Toy Story. And Evil Dead came through with a, a squeaker of a, of a victory over Mad Max, which I guess we'll do early next year since it was so close. So here to help me talk about 1981's original Evil Dead, the Evil Dead, the backwards Suicide Squad situation, uh, is Bree from the Geeky Waffle. Hi, thank you so much for having me back on the show. I'm super excited to talk Evil Dead with you all. So obviously we just had you on for Child's Play. You're our (laughs) go-to franchise starter person so far, at least with these two back-to-back like I said on the on the last time you were on, we did the first Harry Potter on on my other podcast a while while ago. Now oh, tell people I will take that title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel like now I'm going to be like, oh, I'm doing a horror franchise. Is is Brie available? Perfect. Start it Sign off. me up. Good. Yeah. <laughs> so tell people who didn't listen to Child's Play yet, which is now available <clears throat> on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcasters, all that good stuff. Tell them who you are and and all about the Geeky Waffle. Yeah. So my name's Bree and I'm a part of the Geeky Waffle. I actually live out in Los Angeles and I'm an actor, writer, and I, I also do casting as well, like a plethora of, of, of things out here. And yeah, I love horror movies. I was one of those kids who was <laughs> constantly scared, but I think like my love for horror grew out of like me just wanting to prove to myself that I can be brave. And now I, I just, I, I love it. Like I, I've gone to so many like horror cons in Florida before and yeah, I, I just, I just love it. I actually, actually got to meet Bruce Campbell at one of the horror conventions in Orlando. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to hear about like that. <laughs> and, and also, and also on, I think it was after the child's play recording, you mentioned you have a, a Sam Raimi story. And that was the other reason that I was like, oh, well, we got to bring you on for Evil Dead. How about the first one? Yeah. So, so like you say, do some acting and I was hired to be a stand-in for a movie. And when you get hired for, for stand-in work, they don't tell you anything about the movie, the name of it, what it's about, nothing. You know what I mean? You just go in blank slate. So I was like, sure, I've never done stand-in work before, but I was like, great. Like they were going to pay me. I'm happy. That was like, yeah, solid. I get to set and a van was going to take us up to the location, which is at a, at a house. And so I get in the van and friend Kranz actually gets in. I don't know if you know him, but he was in Cabin in the Woods and also was in Joss Whedon's uh, dollhouse. 
I was a big fan of Dollhouse when it was on, and he was my favorite part of it, actually. So yeah, yeah, I was like instantly. He's great on that show. Him, but I was just like, when you work, you're professional, so you don't like geek out or anything. But he was really <laughs> cool. And then we get to the house, they hand me a little script, and as a stand-in, I was like, what? <laughs> oh, okay. I had no idea what I was doing, but I was like, sure, my little script, and basically, you have to act out the scene for the actors when they see it. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> no idea. But it's basically for lighting and stuff. But lo and behold, the director was Sam Raimi's wife. And Sam Raimi was there as well because he helps her. And <laughs> at one point, Sam Raimi went around greeting everyone. He came to me. He's like, hi, um, and who are you? And I was like, oh, my name's Bree. And he's like, what are you doing with us today? And I I was like, oh, I, I'm going to be, I'm, I'm one of the stand-ins. And he shook my hand and welcomed me to the family. Wow. Nice. And <laughs> I almost, I was like, be cool, Brie, be cool in my head. I was just saying this isn't a big deal, but I'm a really big deal for me because um, I'm a huge, huge Sam Raimi fan. Like I said, The Evil Dad is one of my favorite, favorite cult movies and yeah. then all the spider-man movies like hello so that is a very special day for me that's really cool he's also yeah. a, as you just mentioned his two signature franchises he's a huge director and doesn't really need to go walking around introducing himself to stand-ins like no that's that's really cool all. that he took get, the time to do that i get there's there was only three actors on set that day and three stand-ins and then the crew and that was it but still he was so pleasant to work with, so delightful. Yeah, overall, it was such a, an amazing experience. And on set, like, it was one of the most comfortable sets I've ever been on so far. That's cool. That's yeah. really cool. What, what yeah. about what of the Bruce Campbell interaction? What, what happened there? Was it, did he have any, he, anything interesting, any interesting tidbits from that? He was so much fun. Like, I think with bigger stars, though, at like these cons, you don't really get a lot of one-on-one -on -one time. But he was super pleasant. They had like a VIP party and he was like dancing on stage and they brought out this cake for Evil Dad and <laughs> he was just dancing and goofing off. Like really, I think like just a personable guy, which you always hope like these these people that you're like, oh, I, d I just hope they're like as nice as you think they are. You know, great guy. Like honestly, so much fun. He was so funny. Yeah, he never seems like the type of person that would take himself too seriously. That's his persona. But again, yeah. you never know how much like how much the persona actually lines up with how they are in real life or anything. And yeah, I've seen I've seen The Man with the Screaming Brain, a movie he's directed and I'm like, oh okay, gosh, he yeah. doesn't he doesn't <laughs> seem like he's he, yeah, he seems like he's just having fun with all of this stuff. And I that's think he is. Like yeah. that's what you want. So you you want to enjoy your work that you do. Um enjoy totally. life. So yeah, I think he's just really enjoying his life. I, I, I watching this back. I really don't think anyone thought the evil dead was going to become like such like a cult cult franchise. Absolutely. Well, well, this is based, they basically, they made a short film before this called within the woods with Bruce Campbell and, and Sam Raimi and everything. And, and that was their proof of concept for this movie. And I, and I say on the evil dead two episode that this like, a proof of concept for that movie. So it's like, it's like he constantly, it's like a, a draft that's constantly in progress from one movie to the next. And I think in this film, 
being so low budget, obviously written and directed by Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. independent movie made for like 375000 or something like that, I found. Yeah, something crazy. Yeah, exactly. It's it like, it feels like you can obviously see that scrappiness on screen, but at the same time, this movie created a, it created a genre. Like I know that there were obviously a group of friends on a road trip, things go awry, Texas Chainsaw Massacre style, mm-hmm. things like that. But I don't, you're more of a horror fanatic than I am. Is Was this essentially the creation of the whole, speaking of Fran Cran's Cabin in the Woods conceit? I think it was definitely the start of it. Yeah, because I, I think before The Evil Dead, there's, there's something about The Evil Dead that we really hadn't seen before. There's just something about it because I think it was almost like satirical in a way too, as we get into talking about the actual movie where the demons are basically taunting. Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like it's not typical. It's not your average, let me scare you, put that in your face. It is, has more of like that taunting aspect that it's funny. Yeah, they're essentially like gruesome tricksters, basically. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like wood nymphs, you know? Evil, yeah. <laughs> evil wood. wood. Well, they, they emerge from the woods, so that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so before we get into this specific movie, which we already dipped into, obviously there's the three, the, the three that Sam Raimi directed and then the 2013 remake slash reboot, all of which I'm going to get into on the course of this mega series. But what was your introduction to Evil Dead? Did you, when did you see any of these movies and, and how was, what was your initial reaction? So my mom is a big, like horror sci-fi. Like I grew up watching like the Ed Wood movies. (laughs) Which, when I tell you, Robert, that I was a scared kid, Ed Woods playing Nine from Outer Space scared me. Like, (laughs) I was a scaredy cat for no reason, because that movie is ridiculous. So she introduced me to the series, and by that time, I was definitely more, like, cool by then with, like, everything. And I just fell in love with it right away. I feel like people mistake... Ash's chainsaw when he gets that for the first one, which is like mm-hmm. such a, I think it's a common misconception. Well, I think it's, it's, it's the first, the second one is the mashup of the first one and the second one. Like it, it yes. quickly retcons the the first one or, or at least simplifies it. Cause it, cause later in the television series and things like that, like clearly there were five people that went to the cabin and the second one just streamlines it a little bit and gets right into it. So yeah, I can see that. I think it's, it's, this one is definitely feels a lot different than the latter two in the trilogy Mm -hmm. in part, in part because, because it it isn't as overt with, with the comedy as certainly the last, well, definitely army of darkness, which is very skimp. Very, very <laughs> slim amount of horror. That's like 90% comedy, 10%. Yeah. Like that, that that movie, you could almost, it's almost PG-13 level, like ridiculousness. Is is this the first one that you saw? Like, did you see them in order or? I did or see did them you, in order. Okay. I feel I like that's did. rare. Yeah, because most people just go to Army of Darkness. Right. Like essentially. And like, that's why you say, like, I feel like there's such a misconception because I feel like everyone, 
either thinks our darkness was the first one that came out. It definitely wasn't. It was this one. And yeah, because I feel like even because I had always heard like previously, like before I saw the evil dead, I'd always heard about like ashes boomstick, you know, the iconic chainsaw. And when I first saw it, I was like waiting for it the whole time and it never came but I feel like I I have learned to appreciate this one on its own for what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think is that's it, I think that's yeah. the key. You have to look at it as well. These were all unproven actors and a filmmaker who had never really done anything other than like student films, I guess. Yeah. Stuff, at that point. And they went out and they made a movie and and they did the best they could with what they had, et cetera. They took a very, that's how the the very simple premise of five people in one cabin basically happened. And because of that, that became the template for this franchise <laughs> for three out of the four movies that are currently out there are, are essentially locked into one setting yeah. uh, for, for the, for almost the entire runtime. You have some, some treks out into the woods and, Oh no, the bridge has been destroyed, et cetera, that thing. But, but it's essentially, so producible. Yeah. It's so yeah. producible. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's, you have to look at it from that lens of like, all right, this is an indie film. Look at what they did with, with these resources. He, so even with that in mind, there's so much style that he brings to this movie, which Mm -hmm. then he builds on in, in, in the sequels, starting with the, that like zoom through the woods to indicate that the, that the evil is approaching like that in and of itself is so iconic that they pulled they pulled that and many other things back in when they did the 2013 version because it's like well that has become such a hallmark of this franchise a bunch of people in a cabin the woods take over you they attack they mess with you there's there's a lot to get into and that this movie sets the template for and i think i, th- I think it 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 deserves all the all the recognition for that so it's it really it's does sort of, yeah in a way it's disappointing that so many people will like Probably this is probably the one that least a number of people have seen. I would imagine because I think Evil so Dead Two, Evil Dead, yeah, exactly. Evil Dead Two is such a masterpiece for what it is, horror comedy. And then mm-hmm. Army of Darkness ha- had found its niche, and like people were kids when that came out. It was more accessible and all of that. I feel like this. It's also this has gone through about four million like home video releases. That probably doesn't help. It like constantly gets reissued and goes out of print. Oh, probably uh, not. Yeah. Y- yeah, yeah. So I think that was also another part of it. So when this movie came out, do you do you consider this? Do you think he was trying to make a comedy here? Like, is this horror comedy or is this straight horror in your eyes? Because it's billed as the ultimate experience in grueling terror. Is that it this is, is, what, is, that what this but is? I don't. Me personally, I find the comedy in it, and I haven't really heard Sumeri talk if like that was the case because he builds upon. The comedy and horror. So if it was unintentional, it it became great. You know what I mean? Like it became (laughs) iconic on its own with meshing the two. But I feel like it was so stylized though. Like how could it not have been intentional? You know? I I think the, the, the legend is that this was meant to be more of a straight horror. And it just unintentionally campy. And it evolved into that in that direction. I'm not, yeah, I'm not like, like you, I'm not sure hundred percent if that was the intention. I yeah. think it, it's definitely gruesome and, and like over the top with the Oh violence. yeah. With the blood and everything, like the makeup artist did a bang up job with like what budget they had. 
Like, yeah, I was like, whoa, <laughs> okay. <laughs> you get like queasy at times. You're like, oh gosh. <laughs> well, this movie was famously like X rated at one point. Like there was a lot of ratings issues because of, of well, uh, all the fluids, but like that white also milky. the tree. With yes, yeah. Shelly. We, well, I feel like we should just get to that then. How does we that really scene should, play shouldn't we? I mean, now, it's kind of- <laughs> in 2021, especially, that's essentially a one of of two tree rape scenes in this in this franchise. How does yeah. that play? How did this not play for you when you saw it initially? I guess, and I how mean, does that play for you little- now? Whoa. It's a little intense. Like I will say that's an intense moment. It's not comical at all. No. And and it's still like a little hard to watch, even though you're just like, oh, it's like tree branches. But it's like, like, how did the tree know to do that? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, it, ew, it's a little it's a little hard to watch. But I think that's what he was going for, too, is elements that are very unconventional. It's very feels like an exploitation movie move, actually, too. I yes. think that was another thing. It was him just pulling that in there and like, let's see how far we can push it. Cause if nothing else, people will people will remember this film for oh my god, yeah. that scene in the forest and the ones with the with the tree. Shock yeah. horror. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. In a lot of ways. Granted, I think why I like this and not something like hostile is because it's not just torture porn essentially and there's a whole rape revenge horror subgenre i spit on your grave was like a few years before yes. this so there's a lot uh, that's in the zeitgeist as this is how you push buttons how you make us make a splash in the genre to a certain degree exactly. is by is by leaning on those sorts of like you said shock horror it's as far as what the point of it is other than making viewers upset there i, is I no think point. it's it's almost like a, the movie it's like, is that how she's possessed? It, it, it almost makes me feel that that's maybe what they were in. So when she applying. was cut, that's, I would, I would say that's how it got in because it's mostly when people are cut or when their blood is exposed, right. that like the evil within gets into them. So that's the only concept I can think of. Like she needs to be scratched and they just took it the, uh, the extra mile. Oh yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But so much of, of this, I think, too, that's what one of the things that's interesting is that we mentioned Bruce Campbell, obviously, earlier, is that Ash is a regular guy in this movie. Like, he is not jokey. He's not catchphrasey or anything like that in this film. No, and I, I think nothing. that that's, it, yeah, it, it's, I, what do you think that was intentional so that we don't really see him as the, the go to protagonist? Or do you think that's just, I feel like that got developed between them because I think if you're correct in that rumor where it's trying to take seriously, I could see why they wouldn't give him any catchphrases or comedic disposition, you know, because he is really the straight man of it all. Yeah. I mean, the, the movie, it plays it pretty straight across the board too. It's like, the 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 only the humor that happens is just because of how crazy things get. It's not well, yeah. it's nothing necessarily on the page, I would say. No, it's like how they're just the demons interact with him trying to make him go insane. Yeah. I and I love that. That's another thing that they keep going back to. Cause you think of Evil Dead, you think Bruce Campbell as Ash, fully formed Ash. I, I say in the evil in the in the next episode, I'm gonna point out how 
that that moment when he cuts his hand off and it goes bad. That's essentially the birth of classic Ash. So yes. from that point on, he's just hail to the king, baby, and all that stuff. Like he's yeah. he's Bruce Campbell. Like <laughs> at, at, he's like super id version of that character, basically. Hundred percent. And yeah, and we love him for it. But that's when he really becomes like he really becomes the the icon that he is for the rest of the franchise. So you think of Ash. With the chainsaw hand and and the, the shotgun, the boomstick, the the Oldsmobile, all that stuff. Yeah. You think of the deadites that just suddenly change. You think of the woods zooming and the book reading from the book and all that. But I love that consistent through all of these movies, they've kept that. I, I don't know if you've seen the. This is a random reference, but it's what I thought of when I was watching it. I don't know if you've seen the Teen Titans Go to the Movies animated film. But there's a character in there that that likes to that that, that likes to trick the the villain basically likes to trick the the heroes. So he he always turns around and he's like mind manipulation, and that's what I was thinking with this movie. Like constantly mind manipulation. manipulation. Like they're constantly faking him out in in all of the like in all four movies they're always doing that to each other, and I I love that. It's so much fun to see these characters. That were like trying to stab you two seconds ago, be like, no, Ash, it's me. Why would you do that? Why would um, you do that? Uh, so they're funny. gaslighting him the whole time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 100%. You know and, what's and funny, though? That. Oh, go ahead. I'm so sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, I love that so much. I think it's so much fun to watch. Back to the beginning of the movie where they're in the car. Why, if I came across a bridge that had that warning sign, I wouldn't go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just one look at that cabin too i wouldn't stay right well well again it's just what which is a part of how this shapes the stuck in a cabin set of horror movies is that it's yeah like they the, in not to keep going back to this but your your meant your name drop fran kranz earlier really set the tone <laughs> but that movie they, i didn't mean to name them. drop like that I know, to I know, you. you know, i know i know <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. No, I'm glad you mentioned it because it feeds well into this movie. It's like it's very cohesive conversation so far. Uh, in in that film, there's the five of them going to the cabin, and they they're manipulated to to fit certain stereotypes, like the jock and like the stoner, the, the, the stoner, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. And and they have they are there's a, a guy at a gas station who's the the harbinger whose job is to warn them. So that basically they can lure these people there guilt-free because, well, they were warned and they ignored it. And that's that's a constant thing in a lot of these horror movies where people are like, oh, that old place, I wouldn't go there. I never heard nothing good about it. That thing, no one ever comes back. And I think this movie really helped build that too. And Texas Chainsaw and some of the other ones. But yeah. it's it's so present in this film. And I think it's almost... I think the implication for us as the viewers are like, well, they shouldn't have done that. They were really, really, really being stupid. Just yeah. playing the tape or reading from the book. It's like, does this thing in the in the the 2013 version of the character Eric is flipping through the book and it's like, don't read this, turn away, don't pay attention. And he's like, huh, let me sketch this thing and read this this inscription. I'm like, dude. But yes, it's totally there. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny like every turn they had the the morning at the bridge the cabin itself especially with the <laughs> with the swinging bench just constantly hitting and then when Shelly's like don't play anymore and then they're just like oh, I'm just gonna continue playing it yeah I I really liked I really like that the the I guess his sister's name Cheryl right yes yeah 
Cheryl is just is the, she's also the first one to to get victimized by the woods, but also to be like, this is bad. Let's not. I don't feel right about this. Let's let's get out of here. Thing and I, I love that she feels like the the inspiration for the Mia character later on in the in the newer one, and that yeah. it it sets the it puts the personal stakes into it as well for Ash when it's his his girlfriend, his sister, and then his two friends. I, I love the way how it's, the movie already kind of stacks the, the deck against him, basically. It really does. You have to make decisions. It's like disembody the ones you love. <laughs> puts things in perspective, like, can you really do this? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Oh, that's right. It was Cheryl who... Yeah, Cheryl. Who yeah, got mad at the... the Cheryl, Scott, Linda Ash, is his Linda girlfriend. Yes. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I confused if it was Cheryl or... I think Shelly is Scott's girlfriend. Yes. Yeah. But I got confused at who was the one who was mad at the radio. But that was... They all should be. Cheryl. They should have all been in unison. Be like, what are you doing? They should have, but... Demon incantations. Like, well, how about we don't play that? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, two. Like, one, I wouldn't have gone in the cellar. Especially if it just flung right. up, like... Don't do that. <laughs> don't don't go down there. And why do they only pack one flashlight? All good questions, Bree. All good questions. <laughs> oh, that's another thing too. When Scott was like, I'm going to leave. And he just like nonchalantly walks down the woods. Like there's not a hurry to leave. <laughs> and that, that just got me. Yeah. It's like. <laughs> the This one, I think, um, emphasizes uh, you have that constant refrain i think it's i think it is cheryl who's like the woods are alive the woods are alive yeah. how do you feel about the fact that that the villain in this is this unseen evil you know demonic force in the woods that I, it's i guess is n- never really dead i think that's actually uh referenced specifically in the book yeah. that they just lie dormant and the book lets them take corporeal form basically it's yes. as a as a shapeless villain what are your what are your thoughts on that in the genre that, that has all these icons okay there you go see no i love it horror icons can be done right if it's like scream right he's mm-hmm. iconic and ken i i think what works about like Ghostface, right is that he's tangible he's real like you can actually it's scary because someone could break into your house with no rhyme or reason with the mask on and kill you, right? Where it's something like, I don't know if you remember the movie Boogeyman with Barry Watson. Mm-hmm. That movie had such a great buildup, but then you saw the Boogeyman and it was some CGI wacky thing. And it was like, oh, there's it's not scary. I think what works about something shapeless, something that can be manifested through an incantation, right? It's scary because you it's an, uh, an unknown entity. You don't know what it looks like. There's nothing that's tangible there. So that's what's scary about it. And in this one, especially, there's no real motivation. It's just like uh, chaos, essentially. Yeah, it, to, it is To chaos. claim their souls. Yeah. And I guess what's tangible is the tree branches trying to, yeah, do that. But like overall, it is essentially like how far in the woods does it go we don't know yeah it's wherever like does it lie awake in every forest there's oh. something specific about this cabin or this forest i i, I guess because that's where the book is maybe it's like um 
sort of like on Buffy, that's the Hellmouth drawing right. the supernatural for it's to where that book is, is the that's what's drawing it there. I, I can only imagine. But yeah, the, the book obviously changes. The, the book in this movie, the rules of this franchise are much like Chucky, constantly evolving. Because in this one, in this one, it seems like the cabin has been, you know, desolate for a long time, it just sat there. And then in the next one, they're like, oh, Annie uh, Noby is heading there. She's like, my father was there like a week ago. And I'm like, a week ago? It does yeah. not look like it's been a week. <laughs> it looks like this has been sitting here for years, decades even, until these idiots went over there and decided to play the tape of the book. But but so yeah, the, the, the book is the mythology of the book obviously changes. We don't learn anything here about where it's come from or who the voice on the tape is really or any of that. Do you think this... Do you think this premise works better with or without that backstory? Because from here, it's, as we were saying, it's such a basic five kids go into the woods to, to have like a, a weekend, a getaway and, and all hell breaks loose and, and uh, evil takes over. Yeah, I think it works for this. But what I love about the remake is that you do get to know the characters a little more. You get to know the history of them. I like that they had a purpose. Kids just going to party, it was a, a small setup, but it wasn't like you didn't really get to know the in depth, like of of Ashes and Linda's relationship. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it wasn't. It, it's very surface level, but it works for this type of movie. Yeah, but I do like I do like a little more in depth. But I I think it's fine for this because again, like you were saying, it was a concept movie. Like, look what we can do. Give us more money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, they 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 do their their the bare minimum. I think as far as the storyline, there's yeah. that necklace that he gives her, and yeah. then that becomes the the totem for the the romance that he had and his lost love, that thing. And and I I think Evil that. Dead gets into this even Evil Dead Two gets into this even more, where there's a there's a moment in here with with Linda where Ash is like. His, you can get you get a glimpse into his deteriorating mental state, like how this is all affecting him. And there's a whole sequence in the sequel that's just like him, like imagining crazy shit happening, and like like the whole cabin is laughing with him, including the uh-huh. objects, which is which is hilarious and played for laughs. But it's also like this guy, much like Andy Barkley, has seen some shit. Like he's oh, yeah, gone through traumatic. trauma. And, and I, I like that that these <laughs> this franchise turns him into such a buffoon but his buffoonery is like built on a foundation of death and destruction and and essentially having to murder his friends his sister his, his it's a coping mechanism yes exactly i would exactly. i it is like i would i am like okay well i feel like i'm going insane i'll play into it which explains why he goes insane to a certain yeah, degree yeah definitely you have at one point Cheryl is locked up in the cellar taunting him and then you have linda crazy looking linda just sitting there laughing like she's linda, a who looks like a clown at that yes. point yeah i was gonna say if if there's anything in this movie that maybe is in not unintentional a comedy it's some of the 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 sound effect like the, the voices the the makeup design like it's scary but it's also like wait why does she look like a clown because she's, yeah. she's just like the dead eye designs in this are are really weird and and i think that's the intention but yeah oh i know that, and then like when scott comes and then he's like you'll be fine i'm like do you look at him 
do you see <laughs> do you see him ash like i know you don't want to be alone in this but he doesn't look good yeah no, nothing is nothing <laughs> nothing is fine about this no. but yeah dead eye linda and her like laughing <laughs> Oh. like that thing it's just <laughs> it's more annoying than anything else i'm like oh she said <laughs> i know i'd be like i just want to kill you so i don't have to hear you yeah exactly and he's like shut up like, and she's like ah, like laughing at him there's there, i feel like i didn't i didn't make note of what made me think of this but i wrote down uh, there were hints of of slapstick ash in here like the way he says something or like the way, mm-hmm. like the, the 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 way he's reacted to, to something around him or whatever, like there was little glimpses of 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 what he'll become later on in his performance, which I thought were interesting. But as we were saying, probably not intentional. They just latched onto that later. I think they uh, probably developed it. Like I, yeah. I wonder if even something like Bruce Campbell even was like, I want to try this out more. Yeah, yeah. It's Could also be. Be, it became a as as we were saying, it became a cult classic. It became a. Uh, a thing that people would watch and be scared at and laugh at. And so I think it, it makes me think of like Tommy Wiseau with The Room where he was like, yeah, right. that was a comedy. That was always supposed to be a comedy. That was the intention. So that was <laughs> it. <laughs> Jokes on mark. you. I'm uh, really yeah. genius. <laughs> exactly. So I, I think there's a little bit of that here at play. It works mostly just because I I, I love the progression from the first one to Army of Darkness yeah. where it's, Horror with a little comedy, a nice even balance of horror and comedy in the second one. And then like all comedy, no horror by the end. He's just quips galore uh, in that third one to the point that I've mentioned this on another episode, but they did a an Evil Dead musical. Oh, good. I'm glad we both wanted to bring this up. Well, what are your thoughts on this? So it's one of my favorite musicals. I watched it bootleg, but then I saw it in Vegas and it <laughs> it's so much fun live, but I... I love this so much. Like I was just listening to the soundtrack today as well. Like just <laughs> to build up, like, I'm like, I'm just going to put it on. And it, it's so funny. And it combines all the movies together. Starts off, you know, the evil dead and then progressively goes along throughout the series. But yeah, I, it's so campy, so fun. I think I, I was sitting in a splash zone, so I got very bloody. It was great. It was great. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I, it's, it's indicative of the musical being the crystallization, crystallization of the three of them. Yeah. That it's, it's the premise of this one. And then more of the, the plot and characters from the second one mm-hmm. in the latter half. And then the, the one-liners from the third one basically oh gosh, yes. just popped yes. into the cabin because you got to have those. But, but yes, I think it's very much started as horror and then became this weird franchise, much like Chucky again, that mm-hmm. evolves as it goes on. It, it doesn't like none of, none of these movies feel same, like feel the same. Yeah. They're all very distinct. All four of them are very distinct. Even the, even the remake reboot, whatever that is, uh, which we can maybe talk about in a minute. Even that one feels very different from this one. Oh, absolutely. But it still holds. Like it, I think it took elements of it. I don't think it, it it's not necessarily as campy, but it it does, it still has that underlying humor, which I think it needs. Absolutely. I also have to wonder, it, it, talking about the larger franchise, is Henrietta supposed to be in that cellar with, I guess, Cheryl at that point? Like Probably. is Henrietta? <laughs> I would assume so, right? Yeah, I, I wish Henrietta. I, I'm a big, I'm a big Henrietta stand like in these it. movies. I think 
I think Henrietta is one of the best things about the second movie because Ted Raimi's a blast. Yeah. So uh, there's other things. I have a few other things I wanted to mention. Obviously, Ellen Sandweiss, who plays Cheryl, she re- she actually returns and reprises that role in the TV series, which I'm not sure if you've seen. Yeah, uh, I love it. I'm yeah, very okay. sad it's gone. Ah, so am I. I do feel like it's a decent end point if they do want to bash there, though. But I, I really want a sequel to the remake very badly. Absolutely. I think Jane Levy was so good and really, I, I really wanted to see what she was going to do. Me too. Me too. Definitely. There's a few little things in here that they pick up on. And the second one, somebody gets uh, stabbed in the back by a hand, which again happens again in, in the second one. It's Ash's hand. The, the red on the lens, which again is that same Raimi style coming into play here. There's a chainsaw. In a, in a key sequence in this in this movie. Just, yeah, a few random little things I thought were really interesting to mention. The, talking about the practical effects, which become a real hallmark of this franchise as well. Yeah. In here, you get not only the, the makeup and prosthetics, but you get like basically the stop motion effect of the bodies disintegrating and exploding yeah. at the end. What are your, what are your thoughts on like, I guess the, the practical movie magic used for the viscera and, and gore Listen, of this film. I will always say this. And I feel like, you know what I'm going to say to you, Robert. I'm the biggest, <laughs> I'm the biggest fan of practical effects and visual effects. Like, I love it. I think it lends itself way better than anything CGI could reproduce. I just love it. I it remind I was in a zombie film like when I was like 18 or something as a background extra, but I just kept coming back and they kept having me back. So I was like, great. (laughs) And I remember the the special effects guy was there and he was so excited about the little like props he was making. And it was just like so cool to see. So I feel like, I don't know, it just lends itself. It's better. Speaking of that zombie movie, they actually reference Evil Dead in it. Of one of the guys. Yeah. It's a zombie movie. And the one guy picks up his chainsaw. And he's like, Ash would be proud. <laughs> nice. I was like, nice. all right. That's my favorite part of that movie. <laughs> This the, uh, and in this movie, technically, that's a good question, actually. Do you think this is, would you consider this? A zombie franchise because these aren't technically zombies. They're they're, they're like not. Uh, demonic. It's more dom- demonic possession, I would say. Yes, even though they look, I mean, their makeup suggests they, that they, they are yes. yeah, very exactly. undead, like zombies. But they're not after one's flesh. They're just after your soul. So, join us. I guess <laughs> is that better? Or worse? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it lends itself to the catchy musical of join us. Yeah. Oh my God. That was fun. I'm going to probably listen to that later. Oh, it's uh, so good. I was just listening like, do the Necronomicon, do the Necronomicon. It's, it's very catchy. It's, I would definitely, I, I, this will be the, the first of two times people will hear me recommend that, but I would definitely recommend people check that out on Spotify. Please. I can't, I can't get the songs out of my head right now. Like they keep <laughs> flipping back and forth during this whole time. We're talking of like the cabin, the woods, the opener. <laughs> yeah. And like, I don't know if I can curse, but what the F was that? Right. And that's so good. So I, um, I'm like, that just enhances on the characters too, like the stereotypes that they're trying to play. Like Scott wasn't as like, he was annoying beyond belief in this movie, but he wasn't like as frat boy, you know. Yeah, they, they, they lean into that for sure in, oh, the, yeah. in the music. Oh, 
I love that. So, I think they do great of like playing up the stereotypes of like the typical. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so we mentioned the uh, 2013 version. Is there, is there, how do you feel that that compares to this one? Is this, do you consider that a remake? Is that a reboot? Does that exist in the same universe as this movie, basically? And I think it'd be interesting if it was the same universe. And I'm almost, I would love for it to be. I don't know what they were planning with the sequels, but is there something like a multi-universe where Jane Levy would meet Ash? You know, it, it feels like everyone is doing multiverse stuff right now, but I'm totally down for a, a deadite verse, as it were. I mean, uh, I think I, it would lean into the campiness of that if they wanted to go more in that direction, because I think what would be cool if it was supposed to be more of like that deadpan straight to horror. And then I would gradually evolve to what this series did would be very interesting take. Yeah, I believe there were plans at some point before an Evil Dead 2013 sequel that would have dovetailed with these movies or with Ash, but I'm not, that didn't happen clearly. And then they have another one in the works that's not related to that. But yeah, I I I agree with what you said earlier. I think Jane Levy is so good in that movie playing playing kind of Ash and Cheryl in a way. Yes, definitely Uh, a combo. Yes, That's that's the twist, which I'll get into on the episode for that movie, but that's one of the big twists of that movie in a way is that mm-hmm. she ends up being the hero and the villain, her brother spoilers for evil dead 2013, her brother as positioned almost like he's going to be the ash with this being his sister. They really obviously. wanted that to be, I can like a red herring yes. for the audience. And I love the outcome. I thought it was great. And I do think Jane Levy is underrated in that way too. Like just everything she's done, she's been so excellent. And I think I was reading on her Twitter, like she would absolutely love to to do this again. So they should really, really think about having that sequel come out because you know what? It's been a hard time in quarantine and we deserve it. That's true. That's an excellent point. And it makes me wonder if there was a, some falling out with Fetty Alvarez and and Sam Raimi or like what's going on? Oh, I don't know. You do these three movies. Everybody loves Ash. You take forever to do anything with that character. Instead, you do a remake slash reboot, whatever, which is, I would say, is a lot closer to the ultimate experience in Grueling Terror than I this movie too. is. Yeah. Uh, because, 100%. whoa, some of the moments and I've seen it a few oh, times. Oh, I know. It's, it's like, there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there. And that's a totally separate episode. But oh, like where they go in that movie is, is, is oh, yeah, they really. the envelope. I think so too. That's why I said, I think they took like certain elements and made it. And it, it, while it keeps like, like an underlying tone of somewhat comic, it really isn't. It it goes more with, I feel like how they were trying to market this first one, which doesn't, yes, it has shock horror moments in it, but looking at it now, most of it, I just don't find scary, which isn't a bad thing. And gross like, maybe not scary yeah, so much. Definitely some there were some gross moments. I was definitely like, oh, but but I I think if it was unintentional, they they really had some really great comedic timing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and to your earlier point, even the possessed Mia in the in the 2013 version, even she is a trickster. Yeah, uh, yeah. Where where like way she's actually a more intense trickster um, yes. than, than these guys yes. are. Where she's just like, 
laugh giggling under the in the in the cellar where she's like you know telling the natalie character don't cut it don't do it don't do it really knowing that that's gonna make her cut it and then laughing her ass off so yeah she has a blast with that but but they do these three movies they do the the 2013 then they eventually did ash versus evil dead which i think does a a pretty good job of nailing the tone of the second one yeah there are episodes and sequences that are really violent that are also scary uh, but mm-hmm. then it goes right back to Ash being Ash. And so I think I think that one, they they hit that sweet spot of this, the middle ground of this franchise where it doesn't lean too far in either direction. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you do another movie a few years later and it's totally unrelated to everything. It's like where I don't understand the logic there. Me neither. <laughs> Who knows? I don't really know what's going on with that in particular. It'll be interesting to see. I don't think... Out of all the movies, though, I think this was a good setup, but I don't think this is, I don't really think that the Evil Dead in particular, the the 1981 movie, is, it doesn't set the tone really for a lot of it. Mm -hmm. I think overall concept, yeah, but... It gives you a lot of, like we were saying, the iconography, the the woods Mm -hmm. zooming through there. The, the Deadites general demeanor, Ash the Chainsaw, et cetera, all that stuff we brought up. It gives you all those tools to work with. And then, as we were saying in the second one, Sam Raimi's like, all right, I let me lean into my like my quirky side, which you see again, even in the Spider-Man movies, he brings that oh, up yeah. on uh, time to time. Like the, the offbeat senses of humor. There's a whole sequence in Spider-Man 2 with Doc Ock that's very Able Dead heavy. Yeah. Uh, as far as the imagery, there's a chainsaw in there as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, drag drag Me to Hell is another one that's like right in the Evil Dead I 2 zone. I love that movie. I love that movie too. Oh, Justin Long is in it. Talk about a gross movie that just like oh, leans into what's the nastiest shit we can do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so fun. I um, love that movie. Oh, you're, This is bringing up so many things that I love. I know. Um, I know. <laughs> it's. He's he's a great filmmaker, is my point, and I, and really I think that is. Oh. the fact that he made this movie that we're talking about on a podcast, literally forty years later, they're doing I think screenings this this fall. This episode will probably be up after the fact, but they're like doing I don't know Fathom event screenings or something for this movie forty years later, and we're talking about it, and they made it for such little money with such little such few resources with like five a you know student actors essentially right in uh, in a cabin and here it became this huge multimedia franchise where there's video games a tv show cosplayers that dress like ash and everything yeah. like it's, it's it's crazy that it's become this whole thing it really is and i feel like too a lot of the older horror movies gives our our setups even today of like the overall like archetypes in horror movies and I do feel like the Evil Dead sets up those archetypes well, even though they're very vague in the first one. But they're still there. And it's still that same premise that I feel like is lasting for generations. Totally. Totally. And as far as Evil Dead Rise, I'm I'm curious about it. It's it seems like it's like a pair of sisters and it's taking the 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 concept away from from the cabin, from the woods. Which Ash versus Evil Dead already did that. Yeah. But building more away from the limitations that this movie's put the franchise in for most of its run. <laughs> because if it's gonna become something that's gonna continue on, like it's- like yeah, like Chucky, like Freddie, like all these characters and everything, you can't 
you can't be like, oh, we're, we're heading back to that cabin. Like that only works so many times. They're, honestly, they're lucky they got away with it for three out of the first four movies of just doing that exact same thing. So, oh, I know. But I will be watching Evil Dead Rise next year, hoping that we get like a mid-credits Jane Levy appearance or something. And that that's like a, Hopefully. a a backdoor bringing that character back in. Because I, I agree with you. I I really love that movie. I think it it Me pays too. a lot of homages to this one, but also does its own thing. And uh, yeah, so I was always it was wondering. one of the better like horror franchises, like reboot remakes that came out that year. Because I feel like Nightmare on Elm Street came out around the same time. And this one, it just, it was so good. And it was so sad. They really stopped it after that one because I think it honestly was worth continuing because yes. they really paid a, a terrific homage, you know, to the series, to the franchise and really evolved it where I don't, it was so exciting to watch. Yeah, yeah. It has that kinetic energy that this movie has flickers of because because it's because it's Raimi's so new at, at this point mm-hmm. you get glimmers of his kind of style and the thing that he'd do with especially Evil Dead 2 yeah. in, in in this one but it's the Fetty Alvarez in with the 2013 movie I think really he's like all right we're gonna he, he took every, every element from this movie that he needed to and then decided to how do I make this more grounded how do I make this more intense for modern audiences how do I update and, and modernize it? A female lead that's actually her own saves herself essentially in the end, battles yeah. uh, abomination version of herself with the chainsaw, which is a great moment. And I, I don't have you seen Don't Breathe? And I know the sequel's out now, and I've heard uh, things on that, but have you seen that film? I actually I haven't. Okay, you need to probably check that out because that's Jane okay. Levy and Fetty Alvarez. They do reteamed out Evil Dead 2013. Oh, I will need to watch that then. They so that, that's it's like a, it's basically a Home Invasion movie uh, with some I love those. along the way, but I love those but, cabin movies are great. I'm writing one right now, so <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Evil Dead has made a cabin iconic, and even you're you're so correct. Where it's you can see Sam Raimi's like genius coming through in certain areas of this movie. Mm-hmm. There's one in particular where it's right when that cellar flew open. Just the way even it was positioned, the camera angle, I thought was was great. And yeah, just certain set, the stylization of it, I think is what makes it unique and not just random. It, it could have been very random, but I feel like it's very stylized to the point where it, it did make the movie stand out. Yeah, yeah. You, you can see raw talent is... Mm-hmm. It, it leaks through things, even even when you have limited resources. Sometimes, especially when you have limited resources. Yeah, and and I think that's certainly true here. That the the writing was on the wall. Oh, this guy's got a a future <laughs> as a filmmaker. Yeah. Now he's doing now he's doing the new Doctor Strange that everybody's like, what is that about? Sam Raimi coming back to Marvel after all these years? That's crazy. I don't think it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what, too, you can in a way could say it's like Bruce Campbell had to be like, I am legend in a way, just like left on his own mm-hmm. for yeah. survival in this. Well, the, this does not end well for him, this particular no. film. This ends with the implication that he's doomed, basically. And obviously, yeah. we get that's the other thing, too. You get from this movie <laughs> zooms into him and it's like he screams and there's cut to black thing, like, uh, 
Uh oh, well, there goes Ash. Nobody got it out alive. Then you go to the next movie. When that moment happens, it pushes them around. He spins them comically, and it's like, Whoa. it's like the genre shift is like that immediate. And and I love I love that that it's just like, yeah, we're not gonna mess around. This is this is goofy now. We're gonna yeah. do some Three Stooges shit, and it's it's all good. <laughs> it's gonna be fine. Like, <laughs> join us, Ash. <laughs> Before we start winding down, is there? A, Anything about the Evil Dead that we haven't made any moments or, or beats that you wanted to highlight before we start uh, easing I, I towards like the end of the show? If people haven't watched this movie, they should at some yeah. point. Just one, I think overall, it's very iconic for a starting director to have made this movie into what it is. And because I feel like it could have possibly been written off as like a cheesy horror movie. But there's so yeah. many good elements to it that I, it's it's honestly like when the people are possessed, like you get to see the genius of the writing. Even I don't know I'm in, I'm very much so in awe. Yeah, it's it, it it's pretty. It holds up 40 years later it, for sure. It really does. I really uh, I, I don't know. I got I was like yeah I'll do Evil Dead. I'm like I get to rewatch it. <laughs> Hell yeah. Well, then that this is a good lead into to my next question, which is just something we ask at the end of all these episodes. What do you think? What is the what does the Evil Dead franchise contribute to cinema, the horror genre? What is its legacy? What even what Ooh. cues are you taking from this movie when you're writing your own cabin horror film? Well, for my own, it's how to utilize the space within a, a mediocre budget. How do you make those stylized elements? that you need to, to either scare someone to shock someone when you're limited within a location. I feel like this was a really great example about to utilize the space you're given because they didn't have much. At one point you had Cheryl on the cellar, Linda on the side, and then Scott on the couch. And yeah. what was so great about that scene was how claustrophobic it seemed. Like it was like chaotic, claustrophobic and you could really see it eating at ash and i think they did that very well and then also today i feel like <laughs> it is a cabin in the woods movie i feel like it set the tone for a lot i i would be surprised if joss whedon didn't get a lot of elements from this movie for cabin in the woods for sure yeah i you don't know. even think the movie hides that <laughs> No, not at all. Plus other other iconic horror movies in the genre. Like, yeah, they all utilize the same archetypes. But I feel like what was actually good about this one is because it was generic, that you weren't... Like, I didn't put that, like, Scott was, like, a football jerk. You know what I mean? Like, I never got that. I just thought he was, like, he's, like, annoying. <laughs> but I, I think it was nice that this was, like, like unlabelized. That way it made for like an every man's journey, especially mm -hmm. for Ash. It, it was definitely like a, a hero's journey for him that not ended well, but eventually. Yeah, this movie positions him. If, if Scott is like the like misogynistic asshole guy, yeah. then Ash is essentially the sensitive guy, which is totally yeah. in juxtaposition with who he is later on, which is interesting. It just goes to show you how much this whole experience changed him. Yeah, it really did. And I feel like, I don't know, like, I I think if you're especially like, I don't know, a f 
like in high school and wanting to start to get into horror cinema. I think this is a great first example of that and really how, <laughs> how to utilize space and like a non-existent entity, because I do feel like the evil within the forest is a great concept for something that can't be seen. And it really felt real though. Like it, it felt like it came alive and wanted them to be there. And there's all these stories of like the making of this film and all the like all the crazy shit they had to do in order to to make it happen, to get certain shots, like for the mm -hmm. the woods to like glide over the lake. Apparently, I saw this, read this today. Bruce Campbell was like, it, you know, in the water, pushing the dinghy across <laughs> um, so that Sam Raimi could get the good film it while he's on the on the dinghy. So it's like things like that, that it's just like, how do you with the research? And this is 1981. And now it's yeah. so much easier. Now everyone has a video camera on their phone in their pocket. Sure. This was when the, you had to really scrounge around to make that happen, to, to make this thing work and so for it to come across as successfully as it did and spawn this whole, like I said, this whole phenomenon. It, yeah. I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think part of its legacy is not only the cabin genre and the, the, the solidif solidification of what that is with the five kids just going off and crazy stuff happens or demons or whatever. Um, but that, that it, it's for indie filmmakers. It's a one to watch and take notes and listen to the commentary and be like, how do they do that? Like, how do I yeah. take inspiration from that? Cause look at the career that, that all of these, well, not all of these people, cause we don't right. know really the other actors so much, but yeah. that Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell built based on this film. And then Bruce Campbell's now like a, a character actor who's been in a million different things, including big Hollywood movies and multiple television. He was in burn notice for like, yeah. I don't know, eight seasons. Like he's doing very well for himself. He's an icon. Really and is. same thing and for Sam Raimi. I, yeah. And I, I feel like, I think a lot of people just think horror genre is just like one entity. It's separate from everything else. But I, I really think you can learn a lot especially from like indie horror movies, the scrappiness of it all. And I feel like that translates to any genre that you want to film. It's it's all about being adaptable. And I feel like, especially with horror, you have to learn to be adaptable because things can go wrong, especially with special effects and everything. I I remember because the, the zombie movie I was in, that was a, a low budget indie film. And I, oh my gosh, I remember I, the camera malfunctioned at one point. A lot of us were sitting there with blood in our mouths for the longest Ooh. time. And when they finally yelled action, it was like the, the best feeling ever. Just getting to spit all that blood out. But yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> there's like a scrappiness to it that I feel like they leaned into it. They didn't shy away from it. And I feel like you have to do that. There's like just this rawness about it. And I feel like that it really, I don't know, makes it work. It, it completes the overall feeling of chaos, which is uh, a very much so theme throughout this film. Absolutely. And like we were saying, it, it even may, it, it at least makes time to acknowledge, hey, this guy is broken by all of this. Like it has that emotional underpinning a little bit as well. Like we talked about 
with Child's Play, where, yeah, it's a killer doll movie, but it's really about this kid, his relationship with him and his mother, This mm-hmm. the fact that he's been through this experience that's going to now shape the rest of his life. And I think you get a similar thing here with Ash yeah. uh, in this film, and it, and it has that melancholy to it in, in, in amidst all the other crazy stuff. And when I when they never made the Evil Dead 2013 sequel, I assumed it was maybe either maybe Jane Levy didn't want to come back because you hear all these stories on like the sets of these movies of people being like covered in blood. And it's like, like that film especially is so very bloody sticky. (laughs) I would imagine it's lots of scenes in water, all dirty, like blood literally pouring on your face and stuff. So it's, I wouldn't, I would understand if she's like, yeah, I'm going to stay and, and see what Zoe's extraordinary playlist has for me, which is not much. I mean, she now tweeted canceled, she but. would like to do another Evil Dead movie. So let's here's yeah, the hoping. But yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, there's oh oh good old blood. But I mean, really, if anyone sees the musical life in the splash zone, you will be <laughs> sticky and bloody. But it's worth it. Do they sell so ponchos it. or anything? Or they just, do, like, they do. Like they, okay. they also gave us like these like over large like shirts to wear too. But they tell you even come in yeah. old clothes, you don't mind getting ruined. That's what nice. they said. <laughs> yeah, at least they have a, a splash zone. They're not just unsuspecting. Uh, yeah, and they have like warnings and the free t-shirt. Um, <laughs> so normally is we Normally is when I would ask people if this delivers on its predecessor. There is no predecessor to this, as obviously, as as is Bree's uh, tradition on this show. I like like being like the start. Like it is the the start of a journey. Yeah. Yeah. And and what you were saying to you with the whole trauma, this is the foundation for Ash's trauma. For sure. Absolutely. So it's really the start of his journey. And I I love being at the start. Because that way, there's only the process to go from there. Yeah, you set the tone. Everyone else, you're you're the <laughs> you're the the episode. Every every other one is matched up against. So obviously, this is a smooth ride and not a wrong turn. We've already talked about why this movie's great, but I need to hear your ranking of the four Evil Dead films: best Ooh. to worst, or worst to best, whatever you prefer. Oh my gosh! Okay, yes, I should have been. Okay, yeah, you should have expected this, Bree. I know. Every time I'm like, what? Well, there's only four. That's a lot easier than seven. (gasps) So for my rankings, okay, it's going to have to be the first one, I think, has to be Evil Dead 2. Naturally. And then the Army of Darkness. And then, oh, oh, wait, hold on. I'm including the Evil Dead 2013, aren't I? No, yeah, that's true. Okay, no, I'm going to stick with Evil Dead 2, then Army of Darkness, then Evil Dead 2013. And I have to put this one as last, even though it's the foundation, I feel like this one is less evolved than the other ones, which is, it makes sense for the time. So I think that has to be my ranking. I think this one is regrettably last for all the reasons we mentioned, but it's, it's, it's a close rank. They're all really great. Yeah, there's, I think this movie is great. It's a foundation. It's iconic in itself, but it, it it's not even, people remember Evil Dead due to Ash's boomstick when he gets his, his chainsaw and that's not this movie. And I do have to agree, that's a fantastic moment 
in any in any horror movies like that moment when he gets gets his boomstick it just lives with you and yeah this movie it's a great establishment it's great at showing hints of Sam Raimi's genius but it's a budget indie movie it works great but since we have more that establishes a lot more it just has to be last for me even though I do love it yeah that's that's fair Absolutely. But this was so much fun to talk about 1981's The Evil Dead with you, Brie. Can you tell people where they can find you and The Geeky Waffle on social media? So you can find me on social media at Brie Osmude on Twitter. Follow me. I'm really bad at keeping up with Twitter, but I am there. And then you can find us at The Geeky Waffle on every platform. We're on Spotify, iTunes, any any podcast platform and online. So we have website, thegeekywaffle.com. On Twitter, we are geeky underscore waffle. And we also have a Patreon. So just Patreon, the geeky waffle. And if you buy a dollar tier, we have a private discord group just for all of our little waffle listeners. So come on, come on and join. (laughs) Awesome. This was a blast, Brie. Thank you so much for having me on this show. I I can't thank you enough. I always enjoy our talks. Big thanks to Brie for coming on to discuss The Evil Dead. If you like this, give us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts and now Spotify. We would really appreciate it. But I want to know, what was your first exposure to The Evil Dead? Did you see this as a kid in a sleepover or something? Or did you come to this movie later in adulthood? after some of the other films. It feels like everyone has a different entry point for this franchise, but this is where it all started. So when did you eventually make your way back to the original Evil Dead? I want to know. You can find me on Twitter at Crooked Table, the same handle on Instagram, and via email at robert at crookedtable.com. We'll be back next episode with Evil Dead 2. But for now, that's a wrap on another Crooked Table production. Stay crooked, everyone. This has been a production of CrookedTable.com. All rights reserved. That's the yard of the little KED.